Hello, and welcome to the Diversity, Equity and Inclusion podcast, celebrating National Reconciliation Week. My name is Lyndon Raybold. Before we start, I'd like to acknowledge the Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nations, the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is being recorded. I pay my respects to elders, past, present and future, and thank them for their ongoing care and custodianship of this beautiful country. I'd like to welcome Professor Liz Johnson, Deakin's Academic Deputy Vice-Chancellor, who is joining us from the Burwood campus today. Yes, thank you, Lyndon. It's a great pleasure to be joining you from Wurundjeri country here in the east of Melbourne. I'm looking outside on brilliant autumn sunshine and thinking of the seasons and the land that has been in the care of our First Nations people for so long. We thank them for their care of country and look forward to working with them in a real spirit of reconciliation. I'm also joined today by Paul Davis, CEO of the Wadawurrung Traditional Owners Aboriginal Corporation. Welcome, Paul. Are you joining us today from Wadawurrung country as well? Correct. Yes, Lyndon, I'm here in Ballarat, uh, which is a Wadawurrung ward, in fact. And uh, yes, I'm on Wadawurrung country and I wish to acknowledge uh, elders past and present. Excellent. Thanks so much. National Reconciliation Week is held every year from May 27 to June 3 to commemorate two significant milestones in the reconciliation journey, the successful 1967 referendum and the High Court Mabo decision. It's an important time for all Australians to reflect, to learn about our shared histories, cultures and achievements, and to explore how each of us can contribute to achieving reconciliation in Australia. Paul, I'd just like to start by asking you to tell us a little bit about the Wadawurrung Traditional Owners Corporation and your role there. I'm the CEO of Wadawurrung Traditional Owners Aboriginal Corporation, uh, which is a registered Aboriginal party under the Aboriginal Heritage Act in Victoria and is therefore the representative body for the Wadawurrung Traditional Owners. Their their lands uh, include quite a vast area of over 1 million hectares, um, which is on the west of the Werribee River, uh, south of the Great Dividing Range, uh, down to the coast, and includes uh, the regional cities of Geelong and Ballarat. And what does reconciliation mean to you? Uh, well, I, I suppose it means a lot of things. Um, I think there's a real hole in, in, in Australia by the fact that we, we really haven't properly reconciled and, and even necessarily fully acknowledged the past and uh, the status and the significance of, of Australia's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history and its rich cultures. Um, I think we've got a long way to go. But at the same time, I think we are on a pathway which is uh, increasingly um, positive and, and optimistic around that, which um, I think in many aspects of society, we are positively um, and actively embracing. Mm. So reconciliation is about joining together, not not looking at um, issues that divide, um, not looking at negatives, um, taking time to understand and and work on commonalities and how we can help to improve um, everyone's uh, life and contribution, and but also really tackle some of the challenges that we have haven't always acknowledged and. Uh, dealt with properly. It's an interesting point. I think it's really important for us to acknowledge the past injustices as a key component of the reconciliation process. And I think... Um, past yeah. and present. 
injustices. Yes, the ongoing inequality. Yeah, absolutely. Given the change that we've experienced as a nation in the last 24, 48 hours, how did you feel when Anthony Albanese started his victory speech with an acknowledgement of country and a commitment to the Uluru Statement from the Heart? Obviously, the change of government is is significant in Australia. And um, I think we should all take a moment to reflect on the fact that we we do live in a country where uh, a change of government can occur relatively calmly, easily and peacefully. Um, So that's a good thing. Um, In terms of uh, my reaction to his statement, well, look, an acknowledgement of country, I think that's something that anyone should do. So, look, obviously um, he's leading in that respect. So um, uh, kudos there. With regards to um, the embracing of the Uluru Statement from the heart, uh, I think that's really welcome for many Australians and probably I would hazard to guess a vast majority of Australians. Um, when that statement was um, put out and um, gifted uh, over five years ago now, probably more, in fact, um, the fact that it was rejected so um, quickly uh, was very disturbing to, to so many people. And for those Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people that had put so much energy into that, um, um, oh, I would hate to think how they would have felt for that statement to have been rejected, rejected in the way it was. So, look, I think for all Australians, it, it's, it's a great um, pathway forward. It will have, as we know, um, there will be some people unsure about what it means or, or perhaps... Um, not necessarily in support of that. I think we've all got an opportunity to at least engage in the issue and learn more about it, not just take take one view here, take another view there and and make up your mind. Deeply engross yourself in this conversation because there's a lot to that statement. Take the time to read it. It's not that long. It's about a page. Um, It's a brilliant statement. The other thing that has been really heartening today is that everybody I have bumped into has said how important that immediate and primary commitment was from the incoming government. To put that on the table as the first order of business, I think is a fantastic step. And everybody I've spoken to has been really excited about it. Yeah, what a wonderful way to kick off our conversation today. Thanks, Liz. Uh, Liz, could you tell us a little bit about your role as Academic Deputy Vice-Chancellor and what reconciliation means to you personally? Thanks, Lyndon. Um, I have the privilege, and I do regard it as a privilege, of being Deputy Vice-Chancellor Academic here at Deakin. That gives me um, an opportunity to look across all of Deakin, across all of the Deakin campuses, and I have the very great joy of having the uh, Office of Indigenous Strategy and Innovation in my portfolio. It's a relatively new office, and our first PVC in that space is Mark Rose. I've got to say... I have learnt far more from Mark in the last three years than I have in decades earlier. And I think that brings us to the question of what reconciliation is. Paul has captured it beautifully. It's about coming together with respect and understanding to acknowledge the past and the present and to make a better future. And that understanding and respect is at the core of how we must, we must approach this. And part of that is listening Part of that is doing and part of that is 
building really good relationships because in the end, it's how we work together that will really matter. Uh, my role at Deakin takes me to Gunditch Mara country down in Warrnambool. I was there last week. I'm often at the in Geelong and Wadarung country. I'm in the city and out here at Burwood on Wurundjeri country. And interestingly, when I went down to Warrnambool this weekend, I, I come from that land. I, I grew up uh, in the Stony Rises north of Warrnambool. And when I reflect on my childhood, I knew almost nothing about the country's real history. It's deep history and I'm still learning. So for me, reconciliation is a personal journey and it's a public commitment. Excellent. Thank you, Liz. I think we're starting to build a bit of an idea here of what reconciliation and the components and aspects of reconciliation to consider. So there's that acknowledgement of, you know, past and existing injustices, but also, you know, the active listening and taking the time to have conversations and then to build the trust. And without those components, you know, reconciliation is going to be difficult. Um, as a university, Liz, you know, how does Deakin address some of the challenges faced by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people? And more specifically, um, what are we doing to help increase participation rates in higher education? These are big topics. The first thing to say is that it's not something that's isolated. It's got to permeate everything we do. It's got to be part of who we are and how we uh, work and how we operate. And I think we must seek to be active. What happens is people get passive about it. It's, it's somebody else's problem. I don't understand it. It's too hard. Well, it can't be that. It has to be, it has to belong to all of us and we've all of us got to participate. So for me, reconciliation permeates all of Deakin and the work I'm doing, or rather Mark's leading and I am learning about, uh, is to build uh, an Indigenous strategy for the whole of the university. And we look at that in that broad sense, not to take uh, responsibility for it into one place, but to share responsibility across and to empower people. Now, that empowerment comes with responsibility and it means that everybody has a personal responsibility to commit actively to reconciliation. That is to build respect and understanding into everything we do. And that means seeking out opportunities to learn and listen and seeking out opportunities to change practice and improve it and to, to build that for the future. That I, I think... Um, universities, like any education provider, has a really special responsibility here. We are building for the future. We're building, helping people to build their lives, their careers, their future communities, their future industries. And we've got to recognise we do that holistically. We, as my friend Mark says, we've got to embrace the whole history of Australia, not just the last 200 years. So everybody needs to be involved in that. Specific things, though, is we can target our efforts so that we get good outcomes quickly if we think about where we're going to make the most use. The, the first thing is it's got to be a welcoming environment. We've got to have a respectful environment which absolutely will not tolerate racism and will not tolerate uh, active um, denial. It, that's absolutely not part of who Deakin is is or can be. Now, it was certainly characteristic of uh, Alfred Deakin, the person that we're named after, but we take great pride in the fact that Deakin University has stepped beyond that legacy. We acknowledge it, we know that it's true, and we have, must move beyond. So we've moved beyond that, or we're trying very hard to, with the help, I've got to say, of the current Deakin family, but that's a whole other story. 
we've got to build this into who we are and that means that we've got to be respectful of others we've got to create a welcoming community and we've got to listen and then we've got to take responsibility it has to be us that's active and not just waiting for others to do it that's a really interesting point liz about you know who is taking responsibility to lead some of the reconciliation work Paul, I think for too long, the burden of a lot of this work has sat with Indigenous people. And I'm just wondering how important is it for non-Indigenous people to help lead the conversations about reconciliation? I think that's absolutely vital. And um, I'm just reflecting on the fierce agreement that Liz and I are having in this discussion. (laughs) Um, And look, totally, it is up to, well, it's up to everyone, but often um, through my working life and particularly aspects of my working life where I've been working closely uh, with and alongside Aboriginal people, often it's expected somehow that the responsibility and the burden sits solely with Aboriginal people about fighting all their own, all their their fights. It's not. Um, The opportunity is for all of us and therefore we've all got an an obligation to take on those fights with with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Um, and that's why, going back to your first statement about the, the new Prime Minister's um, opening remarks, that's, that's why that leadership is, uh, is vital for everyone. Um, he, he, he hasn't left that for, his, uh, for the Aboriginal people in the parliament to, to, to come forward and say first. He, he's taken that himself. That's, that's what we all need to do. And how can we strengthen some of those relationships between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people you know, and non-Indigenous peoples? Look, I think we've all got a responsibility to educate ourselves as much as we can along the way. Liz has reflected on her time working with Mark. I've certainly come to know Mark a bit, and I, I totally appreciate what you're saying there, Liz. Uh, I've, I've been really fortunate myself in working along very, uh, very many um, Aboriginal people um, who have taught me so much too. But um, I think along the way we... we get to a point where we're kind of teaching each other a bit, which is which is where you want to get to. Um, not enough non-Indigenous people like myself um, really get that opportunity. And I think that's, um, therefore, for those people who don't have that chance to do in their, in their day-to-day working lives, you've just got to edu- keep educating yourself, t- delving into issues, um, trying to see the sides of um, perspectives, but also trying to recognise the positive um, areas of Aboriginal culture that, and the richness of those cultures that, that just need to be celebrated. Often the media tends to focus on negative issues. Um, we've got to get past that. There's far more, far more positive issues out there about um, the lives and the cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. We all need to get exposure to that. Mm. Yeah, both of you have spoken very passionately about your the experiences that you've had and the opportunities for learning from uh, Indigenous people. And I guess it's about creating and finding opportunities for more people to have a chance to engage in conversation and to learn more about country. Um, I, th- I think language in particular, I found even um, in my local area, some of the signage in community areas now um, is more and more in- including some of the what are wrong language. Um, and I think encouraging people to try to use it in various circumstances, but also through signage and things like that, it does just make you reflect on where you are when you're on country. It is getting think- easier in some respects, Lyndon. I mean, like this weekend, for instance, I was at the uh, Reconciliation in the Park activity in Geelong, um, which was an open event. 
um, anyone wanted want to come along could come along and, and get some exposure there to uh, local Aboriginal culture, which was fantastic. So many people would, would, have, would have attended the uh, AFL games this weekend, which is part of the Douglas Nichols round, and uh, very uh, easily get exposure to Aboriginal culture in, in really positive ways. So it is getting better, I, I feel. One of the things that we're trying to do is make sure that there are Indigenous perspectives and awareness built into every course at Deakin. So it's not something that's an optional extra. It's not an elective, although we do have fabulous electives and, in fact, a whole minor in Indigenous knowledges, which is quite exciting, but that every student is engages with this material and in the context of their area of study. So it's not that it's the other, it's that Indigenous knowledges and and Indigenous traditions have things to teach all of us. And as Paul says, we need to reflect on it in the way we work. And that goes for professional people, nurses, medicos, teachers, lawyers, but it also goes for those people doing finance or childcare or um, arts, education and creativity. I mean, all, all those areas can learn from and draw on there's this incredible tradition. And one of the things that we're starting to see now, we've, we haven't embedded it everywhere yet, we've got a long way to go, but the commitment is real. One of the things we're seeing is that the, the groups, the courses that started out this now are now getting to the point where they're making their own connections out. So some of our health courses are now making connections out to Aboriginal health services and Aboriginal peak bodies to get them involved in the course design and the course structure. So we can do really good things. We can uh, respectfully involve uh, our Indigenous peers and then go on and keep learning in our own right. So we're not depending on them, we're working with them and it's guided by rather than um, us being able to just, you know, that's somebody else's responsibility. And, and that goes for um, what we do every day on the campus as well. I mean, when we see those words, let's try saying them. Instead of just leaving them, let's try saying them. And and I I found Aboriginal colleagues to be incredibly kind about this. They're very generous. And, and when you think about the kind of backgrounds many of them have come through and how discriminated against they have been, they're incredibly generous. But they're really... It's a very sharing, in my view, it's a very sharing culture and it's based on relationships. So if you take the trouble to build those relationships, you'll find you've got oodles of help. And really nice to pick up on that transition from awareness into more concrete actions. I think that's a really important point too. Paul, have you got any other tips for organisations um, for how they could approach moving from awareness into more proactive actions? I think, in my experience, it starts at the top, uh, Lyndon. Um, some organisations uh, like to appoint an Aboriginal engagement officer if they've got those sort of resources to be able to do that. Uh, but often our, our experience as a Trishona uh, corporation has been that those conversations then don't sit at the, at the appropriate level. I think the organisations that we have the best partnerships with are where the the Aboriginal engagement officers or that responsibility actually sits with the very top person, mm. even though that's not, you know, they might be the um, vice chancellor or they might be the um, managing director or they might be the CEO or, or whatever. They're the ones that actually take their responsibility and ownership of, of 
uh, being in control and and are active in those engagements. That that's where the the opportunities really lie. Not pushing these responsibilities down into lower levels within the organisation. Those lower level roles are important too, but it needs to start at the top. Yeah, I think that's really true, Paul, uh, because it sets the tone. It says we care. We care and we want to invest. I guess the other thing to keep in mind, though, is that the number of, and I'll take my own example here, we also need to look after our Aboriginal colleagues. So uh, Aboriginal academics are in incredibly high demand, and that's because the sector, we ask them to be more than your average academic. They carry... Uh, representational responsibilities. They carry cultural responsibilities. So, so we ask a hell of a lot of them. And part of our job, and, and it's, it is that thing of recognising from the top, is to recognise the special place and the special contribution they give because it is above and beyond. You know, no, nobody comes to me and asks me to look after a group of incoming first years just because I've got the same surname as them. That doesn't happen to me, but by goodness, it happens to our Aboriginal colleagues. And and we need those embedded systemic structures to support them because they they go above and beyond. And the other reason that we really need to support them is because they are the role models for the next generation. So we want them to have careers which are fulfilling and um, achieve their goals because they are setting out the kind of goals that other people can aspire to. And you can see that as Aboriginal people um, translate into more and more diversity in professional roles. We need to support them in there as models and recognise the extra role they play. That point about role models is, is absolutely true, Liz. And one of the uh, issues with um, the role models that we currently have is is not burning them out, like you've been saying, because people do look, look up to these people um, who are the current role models and they see them often exhausting themselves because of the extra responsibilities that they pile onto whatever already uh, significant roles that they have. And uh, I think that has the risk of discouraging others from, from stepping up, which is why the point you made about not trying not to overburden people or at least trying to um, recognise the, the other responsibilities that they that they inherently take on mm. and, and factor that into their roles as best as possible mm. because the last thing we want to see is is so many of the, and, and we do see, to be honest, but we want to avoid that in the future is, is not burning out these people. Mm. I think there's too a lot of strength um, groups like the, the corporation are really important because there's strength in community. And so, for example, we have um, school kids coming into our Nikiri Centre. That's a welcoming community. They're surrounded by the symbolism of First Nations and they're surrounded by people who uh, engage with that space. So, so there's there's something here about spaces as well as people uh, and about sharing that responsibility and that uh, support for both the spaces and the people. When um, we go out on country, we have an on-country experience that our courses go out on. It's just magic to see how people's faces light up when they see the, the country through First Nations eyes as opposed to just the beach that I normally went down to. 
no, now I see it really differently. And, and it's that modelling not just the career but the relationship that First Nations have with place and people. The theme for National Reconciliation Week in 2022 is be brave and make change. And a lot of that is about acknowledging as individuals, you know, what small part we can play in progressing the conversations and progressing reconciliation. And I think you've really both hit upon a key point there that in some cases, you know, looking for opportunities to support the leaders and the role models in this space is a really good opportunity. Absolutely, Alinda. I think our responsibility as for all of us, wherever we come from, is to be active in the process. Don't be passive. Look for a way that you can help because there's lots and lots of things you can do. Whether you're um, an Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander leader yourself, you know, there, are, there is support for you. If you're non-Indigenous like me, then there's plenty of roles that I can play and I can bring my, my strengths my um, what I have to offer and and use it to support others and that might be in my position making sure we've got a strategy making sure it comes from the top making sure that there is um, overwhelming support for the work that we're doing but it might be as small as you know recognizing that there's there's different ways of talking about country and taking the trouble to get involved with it. The, the farm that I grew up on is not far from the budgeting landscape. I grew up calling that place Mount Eccles. I didn't know any different. Um, and that's not an excuse because there's heaps of information out there which I could have, should have had access to. Now, it's a lot easier now. I can now go and look at that country with new eyes and understand that people have been there for tens of thousands of years and they are architects and builders. And I, if I open my eyes, I can see it. So the minimum responsibility is, is open your eyes, be aware, be active. Thanks, Liz. Uh, Paul, have you got any um, other comments that you'd like to make? Yeah, I'd just like to say I, I'm really pleased with the theme for this year's um, National Reconciliation Week of Be Brave make change. I think each year they try and put forward a different theme and uh, a different challenge almost. And I think this one is really good. To me, when I think about what Be Brave means, I think it it means um, tackling the ongoing racism that exists in our society. Um, we don't like to admit it, but, but there, racism exists um, in our society today and we need to tackle that. Uh, we can't just be um, observers um, and walk past it. So what that means to me is, you know, we'll, we'll, um, sometimes you find yourself in a situation where someone said something you know is not right. Um, the easy thing to do is just, um, uh, you know, not upset your friendship or not, not um, uh, you know, risk your friendship and just let it go. But the better thing to do is actually to challenge them on that and, and have that conversation with them that might be a bit difficult because if we, unless we do that, unless we, be, unless we choose to be brave around those sorts of things, um, we're really not going to get ahead on this stuff where we need to be. Um, you know, someone might go along to a welcome to ceremony and you'll notice someone roll their eyes perhaps. That's not good either. We need to challenge that person and, and explain to them that no, this is not just um, a tokenistic gesture that, that we're we're doing here. This is actually an ancient uh, ritual that we're um, uh, fortunate to be part of. So they might not understand that. That's okay. We're all we're all learning. Liz and I have 
both expressed uh, this morning how much we, we, we're learning. But uh, I think we've all got a responsibility to be brave around those things. The other things I think we need to be brave around is just, just be prepared to make a mistake ask and be brave to ask questions. Um, we can't be um, uh, timid around these issues. We've, always, we've got to learn, we've got to get better. And if, unless we're brave enough to ask questions or, or be prepared to make mistakes, then we're not going to get the change we want to see. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Paul. What you walk past is what you're prepared to put up with for yourself. And you shouldn't walk past it. It's ridiculous to walk past it because it makes you a lesser person. So you, you, you must not do that. And I, I think that the, there are ways of bringing people along with you. I was listening to Linda Burney on the way in this morning talking about the incoming government's plan around reconciliation, and she was emphasising how important it is to bring people along with us. We want the next referendum to be as successful as it can possibly be. There should, there should not be a an argument against because we have taken people with us and it's the right thing. And I think that that's a wonderful note to finish on there. Thank you both, to Paul and Liz, for your time today. Really appreciate your contributions to the podcast. You're oh, welcome, absolute Linda. pleasure. And happy Reconciliation Week. Thanks, Liz. And what a great place to finish the discussion today, celebrating Linda Burney's appointment as Australia's Indigenous Affairs Minister and reflecting on the constitutional change required to create a First Nations body to advise Parliament. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Liz and Paul for their time today and to encourage listeners to reflect on what they can do personally to acknowledge ongoing injustices and work towards a more equal and respectful future. And that concludes DEI's 2022 podcast celebrating National Reconciliation Week. Thank you for listening.